0: Bilingual in America.
1: Tunei aloha fi america. Bilinguismo negli Stati Uniti. Bilingue in America.
2: Ser bilingue in America. I'm Suzanne Lasser. I'm Yarina Sanxiang And this is
3: Bilingual in
2: America.
1: It was just shy of a year and a half ago that our team sat together for a friendly dinner and organically from an inspirational conversation created bilingual in America. Since then, we have lived through a pandemic, experienced losses, gains, heartaches, and victories, all in which we tell the bilingual stories that embody humility, hope, and humanity for all bilingual stories embody great courage in some form or another. So with that, it is with great love in our
0: hearts that we say thank you to all of our guests who shared passionately their stories so that others can learn and be supported by those testimonials. If those stories brought comfort, understanding, or clarity, then we succeeded in our mission. We also have great appreciation for you our followers and listeners. Your encouragement, support, and true interest inspire us to go to new heights. So in our anniversary month, we relaunch our very first episode, Speak Your Beauty, the episode that set the tone and purpose. May you find threads of connection, courage, and compassion as you listen in. Being bilingual in America gives you an advantage culturally and linguistically. Yet there are some who view bilingualism as a cultural barrier. In today's segment, we will explore the beauty of being bilingual. My own experience is not the typical bilingual story. When you come from an English-speaking home, you make a choice to learn a second language. My father had an expectation that we would, and it eventually became something I loved. Here's my story. I love when people say to me, where are you from? How did you learn to speak Spanish so well? It gives me a great deal of joy to hear those questions, partially because my first language, my home language, my mother tongue is English. I am born and raised in New York. My mom is from Brooklyn. My dad is from the Bronx. And so learning to communicate in Spanish has definitely been a journey. It's work that I still do, but it's something I'm very proud of. Growing up, my dad really impressed upon me and my brother the importance of learning to speak a second language. He knew that speaking a second language was an expectation in many countries throughout the world, but he said he wasn't sure why here it was not an expectation. He grew up in a home where Yiddish was spoken, where Polish was spoken, where English was spoken, and so he wanted us to have the benefit of a second language. And he made sure to help us develop our skills in Spanish because he knew that learning Yiddish would not help us here. But by learning to speak Spanish, a language that was used by many in the area, it could be beneficial for us. I can remember being in school and studying Spanish and pursuing Latin. I can remember wanting to learn small phrases from friends whose parents spoke Tagalog. It was just something that always intrigued me. Whether it was studying Hebrew as part of my religious studies or picking up on what was similar across languages, I always found myself to be in a position where I was excited to make those connections and to be a language detective. In my professional world, I definitely have been afforded opportunities because I do speak and read and write a second language. I would not have been given certain jobs solely because of my credentials had I not had this advantage over others. And not only did it help me to land a job, but it helped me to build bridges, to connect with families, to be a direct link in establishing relationships, and also to be a part of the second language acquisition process, right? Because while Spanish is my second language, for most of the students that I worked with as an English as a second language teacher, English was their second language. I know that language helps me to connect with people, Uh, being able to speak it, being able to listen to the music, laugh in the language, It has broadened my horizons. It has allowed me into the worlds of the families that I work with in my professional role. It has allowed me to understand the the beauty that lies within a language because built within language is the fabric of a community, of a culture. And so while my grandparents were very keen on assimilating and leaving behind the yiddish that they brought with them from eastern europe like so many other jews of their generation my father switched that dynamic and he said no you're american but you're going to learn to speak a second language because it is important to do so i think that now as a mother i aim to grow that love of language build those connections and show my son why it's so important that he learn to communicate in more than one way. I hope that he will realize that being bilingual is beautiful. And so when people say, oh, I could never do that, or that's so amazing, I say to myself, you can do it. And you know what? Yeah, it is pretty amazing. Yarina Sencion, our segment producer, spoke with Kelly Sosa, who was born in the Dominican Republic, raised in Puerto Rico, and then came to New York as an adult. Kelly shares what she loves most about her first language, as well as what she found most challenging about adapting to American culture.
1: What
2: is it that you love most about your first language? What I love the most about my first language is that Spanish is a very passionate language, it's a romantic language, and even when one speaks a a simple sentence, I feel like it, it reaches your
3: soul.
1: I think that would resonate for a lot of people.
2: So what have you found most challenging in adapting to the American culture? One of the things that I found very challenging in adapting to my American culture was things that I used to see as normal until I realized the American culture doesn't doesn't do this quite often. For example, when we meet a person, it's very, hello, nice to meet you, shaking of the hand. Whereas in the Hispanic culture, a kiss is seen as normal, a hug, and realizing that this is something that it's different. So for me to realize that it's not that they don't want to give me the hug. It's not in their norm. So that was difficult for me at first.
0: Gerlan Dormias came to New York from Haiti when she was just in elementary school and now works with children who are learning a second language as part of an elementary school
4: dual language program.
0: What is it that you love most about Creole?
4: What I love most about Creole? real is that it reminds me of my home, the country I was born in, and my family, and it's the first language I learned.
0: And when you think back to when you came here to the US, what did you find to be the most challenging in adapting to um, either
4: speaking English or to American culture? What I found most challenging was that there weren't any students here that were like me. When I started elementary school. The school was predominantly white and I was one of the few black kids in the school. So that was hard for me, but on top of that, I didn't speak the language that was being spoken in the school and it was hard, the, you know, making friends with the even with the teachers. It was it was difficult. And so now as an educator,
0: What do you do when you um, see children who come and English is not their dominant language?
4: I try to talk to them to find out, you know, about their family, how they like it here, their favorite foods and what they dislike about here, and how they feel about being in school. And then I tell them that I also came here and I didn't speak the language. And that, you know, I try to make them feel comfortable and that things will be okay. And I understand that it's hard for them to be here.
0: Dr. Jorge Preciado has been involved with research and best practices around bilingual education, and teacher preparation programs for over 30 years. What do you see as the state of bilingualism right now in the country?
3: You know, that's that's a great question. I, I think that in, in, in academia, we are, I think we have always paid attention to it, but, but I think it has been more something where folks that are in the area of multicultural education, that somehow it's been where, okay, we, we have somebody that's sort of carrying the flag, and uh, since they're doing it, let's, let's just leave them alone. And unfortunately, I, I think that we then create we send pre-service teachers then where I think when they go to and start teaching in the k12 system, I think some of them are are either confused or shocked a bit in the sense that if a school district does have somebody that's leading the efforts in multicultural education, I don't know if if for some folks, it, they don't really understand why, there would be a need for that. I think one thing that in, at the university level, what we're trying to do is we're, we're really trying to underscore that this is an important thing. And I'm in the area of special education, working primarily with uh, pre-service teachers who are going to be working with individuals with disabilities. I would want to say that individuals with disabilities also, also are included in this notion if we, if we talk about multicultural education or bilingualism. I would say that bilingualism is, is, is a component of multicultural education. I think that as we as we continue to serve a, a, a diverse group of students in our K-12 schools, the fact that we can acknowledge, respect, and see the differences in the, the the culture and, in particularly, the language that that language is is actually an important component, and that can actually that actually supports the students' learning. I like you. I definitely do not see that as a as a deficit. I think that we need it's, it's a mind frame, and we need to support our pre-service teachers and teachers, in the sense that there's a lot of prior knowledge. That students have. They just they're, they're, they speak a different language, but that does not mean that they do not have a, a vast array of content disposable to them. And so, in some ways, because it's, it's hard to communicate, basically, sometimes the teachers feel they say, well, the student's really lacking on certain academic skills, but not necessarily. I guess it's more at this point in time, it's just a language issue. It would be the same thing if you and I were then plopped somewhere in a different country. You know, what would they say? Because we really don't speak very much. What would they say that we're lacking?
0: What I hear you saying is we know that whether it's multiculturalism or being bicultural is definitely important part of a healthy America. So you also believe that bilingualism is just as important for the health of America?
3: I would say so. Take a look at the, um, as you know, the um, population is is changing. and uh, with this change in in our population um, our our teachers that are still predominantly a white population, how do we how do we best address the needs of of our of our students? I think that that mind frame goes a long ways. I think that mind frame then places teachers to continue then to to instruct and and to challenge our students and to nurture uh, the uh, the particular skills that the students have. It also gives the message that the students are validated, that the teacher thinks highly of the fact that they speak a different language and do not see that in any way as a detriment to their educational progress, if anything, sees that as, wow, I wish I had that skill.
0: Yes, and if you have um, one hope for 10 years from now, what would it be in terms of bilingualism in this country?
3: I would hope that school districts need to support those efforts that they're doing. But I hope that, that even within the, the K-12 world and also academia, that, that we don't see this like the folks that are doing work with the uh, bilingual education or multicultural education, that we don't see these as isolated silos, that they're also pairing up with the MTSS folks, the RTI folks, um, because all of this is related. It's, it's they should not be working individually. They should be working together. Everybody Everybody has a very unique perspective. And when we're dealing with such a uh, complex, challenges that we that we see in k-12 uh, we need all of that level of expertise and talent to provide better instruction for our students
2: many hands make for uh,
0: light work and various perspectives Ooh, yeah. definitely positively influence right the success of, of any student right be them monolingual or bilingual our segment producer yarina Sancion migrated between New York and the Dominican Republic with her family until the age of seven. Her family's migration forced her to grow up quickly. She shares her bilingual journey and the turns
1: it took from burden to blessing. Since I was seven years old, I have been an interpreter for someone. First it was my mom. Could you help me make this call, me, huh? I thought, why? Why do I have to do these adult things? I just wanted to play and be free. But when you're the oldest in a migrant family, you grow up really fast. You need to because your family's counting on you. And I resented that. My mom would ask me to interpret at parent-teacher conferences, at the doctor's office, at the supermarket, everywhere we went. I did the best I could, many times not knowing the words myself because I was a kid. And yet the weight of the responsibility never ceased. I thought, when I grow up, I'll be free from this responsibility. But it didn't stop. I found myself in situations where I was needed. My bilingualism was needed. And I couldn't turn it off. I couldn't say no. And during those young years, it became a burden that I could not shake. Until one day, I was in the emergency room with my dad. And as I sat there, I noticed how busy it was. I was grateful I could be there with my dad. He didn't need me for translation, as he felt very comfortable in speaking for himself. But it was comforting for my dad to know that I could sit there with him and he not be alone. And then it happened. A doctor asked, could anyone translate? No one stepped up. So I responded that I could. And the doctor needed to explain to this particular family that their child needed surgery and that they would need to sign for consent. And as I explained the circumstances of the situation, I could see the tears well up and the fear creep up into their faces. And I thought, this is serious. And I was speaking and listening to all of this, this really important conversation. And in that moment, I got it. I got what an amazing privilege it was to be included in this conversation, that I was the vehicle in which this conversation could be created, that it was a timely situation as a surgery would have to happen right away. And in that moment, I was part of their family. I sat in that ER long after my dad was admitted. I needed to know what would happen to that youngster. Their story was now part of my story, and their worries were part of mine as well. Well, that young boy made it through that surgery. And even though I was not the surgeon who performed this life-saving act, I couldn't help but feel as if I had something to do with that victory. That was the day I embraced my bilingualism as my contribution to the world. That was the day I fell in love with being bilingual. Recently, I was at the DMV and someone asked me, do you speak Spanish? Can you help me? I turned around and smiled and answered, of course. My answer will be the same, always. I'm happy to. How can I help? Bilingualism is a gift to be shared, to be used to empower, to bridge worlds, to create possibilities. Bilingualism is my superpower. My burden as a young girl became my blessing, and I hope my ancestors smile and celebrate every time I use my gift for good, every time I can be of service, every time someone's day is a little better because I use my bilingualism. My burden transformed into a blessing. Bilingualism is my superpower.
0: In this segment, you've heard our collective experiences with bilingualism. And we shared how being bilingual is a bridge, how being bilingual is empowering and how bilingualism is a superpower. Since the founding of our country, there has been worry about English losing its power and place in America. But in the past 244 years, it hasn't happened. Isn't it time to shift this paradigm and ask instead, why aren't we all bilingual? Join us for our next segment of Bilingual in America. And until
1: then, be bold and speak your beauty Thank you for your interest in the stories we share By sharing, following and liking our podcast on anchor.fm bilingual in america and our Instagram blog at bilingualinamerica.podcast you are speaking your beauty We welcome your comments and feedback and we appreciate your support Follow us like us, share us. Bilingual in America is officially on summer break, and in true educator fashion, we will use this time to slow down, recharge, and plan for the year ahead. Until then, speak
0: your truth, speak your stories, speak your beauty.
3: See you in September.